Welcome to GovCast, connecting with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is Editor-in-Chief Amy Kluber. Hi, Amy. Hello. So you had the opportunity to chat with Keith Sonderling, Commissioner of the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. How'd that go? It was awesome, especially timely given today's AI environment, which is mainly what our conversation focused on. Yeah. So tell me more about AI, because we all are aware of ChatGPT and just, you know, you can type something in and something gets spit back out at you. But I find it difficult to see how this would connect to the mission of the EOC. So what did Keith say about that? Definitely. Yeah, to most people, it might not be obvious, but to many people, especially in the tech industry, we're familiar with the tools and systems that are increasingly using AI and working with algorithms and the data that are feeding those tools. And in the context of employment, HR teams are increasingly using AI to feed through resumes or help them get to a a faster hiring decision, et cetera. So with this increased use of automated systems, including those with AI, you can get into kind of testy waters with uh, making unfair decisions with hiring. And so that's really what this talk centered on. Uh, He kind of dove into the legal landscape. There isn't a comprehensive regulation around using AI systems. And I think that's what we're starting to see in the federal government right now is how it's going to be regulated, especially how it's going to be regulated to be ethical and fair. And so in the context of the EEOC, they're taking a close look at this to make sure that companies are complying with the Civil Rights Act, of course, and making sure that they are continuing to have a fair employment environment for employees regardless of whether they use AI systems or not. Gotcha. It's really fascinating to hear the legal perspective behind this, because I know in most of our talks, we're talking about the technology, the cyber, like what actually goes into it, data. But to kind of hear it from this, maybe not outside perspective, but a different one is really fascinating. It is. And he is a lawyer by trade. So you'll kind of start to hear some of that in this conversation for all the legal buffs out there uh, who also might might take an interest to that. Um, So he the way he talks about it is just very interesting. Well, I personally can't wait to dive into this conversation. So let's not wait any longer. Let's take a listen to your interview. Welcome to GovCast, Keith. It's so awesome to have you. I'm sitting here with Keith Sonderling, Commissioner of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and I'm excited to really dig into a lot of the work you're doing. Well, thank you for having me. This is a really great platform to be able to talk about the innovative approach trying to take here to regulate uh, all employment discrimination and specifically artificial intelligence. Definitely. So I definitely want to get into more of that here in a second. But to start us off, the organization has such an important role from a government perspective on what it means to have a fair workplace in this country. So what brought you to the agency and this mission? 
Well, I, I was a labor and employment lawyer in Florida before joining the government in 2017, where I first joined the U.S. Department of Labor. Uh, and then I was nominated to uh, the EEOC and confirmed by the Senate in September 2020. So I've been doing labor and employment law my entire career and, you know, working both at the Department of Labor and now to be a commissioner at the EEOC sort of uh, has been a dream come true. You have to pinch myself um, sometimes to realize, you know, what an important mission these federal uh, labor and employment agencies have and how we really impact the workforce. But at the EEOC, um, you know, when you think of employment laws, when you think of employment discrimination and sort of all the big ticket issues, that's really at our agency here. And we're a separate agency, as you know, from the Department of Labor. We're an independent agency. And our mission is to prevent and remedy unlawful employment discrimination and advance equal opportunity for all in the workplace. A lot of people know us uh, because in the United States, you cannot sue your employer, whether you work for a private company, whether you work for state, local government, or the federal government without coming to the EEOC. So we literally see every case of discrimination in the United States. And that's how most um, people know us, um, that you know, you've either been fired or terminated uh, or not paid properly or not hired. And you, know, you need to go to the EEOC. But we do have a very broad mandate also to uh, prevent employment discrimination from happening in the first place in addition to advancing equal opportunity for all in the workplace. So that's where a lot of the proactive uh, work we do as well. But our laws ap apply not only to current employees, but also job applicants. And it prevents discrimination on the big ticket items. So you think about race, color, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, pregnancy, national origin, age, disability, and genetic information. And although a lot of people think of the EEOC, well, I got fired, I need to go to the EEOC. It's so much more than that. Our laws apply to hiring, firing, promotions, training, wages, benefits, prevents retaliation and harassment as well. So we have a lot on our plate. The entire Me Too movement is out of this agency as far as uh, preventing that from happening, enforcing there, everything going on with pay discrimination. When you think about the big ticket items in the news, like the US women's soccer team, those issues, all workplace harassment when it came to COVID as far as COVID accommodations to vaccines, that, that's all under our umbrella here. So, you know, we are, like I say, um, and a little biased because I work here, the premier civil rights uh, law enforcement agency uh, in the world, because you're really dealing with some of the most fundamental right, civil rights we have. Our agency was created out of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which, as you know, started with Martin Luther King uh, marching here in, in Washington, D.C. So uh, we're very aware of that. And uh, it, it's really uh, an incredible honor to be a commissioner here. Fantastic. And it's definitely so many mission areas, I guess, uh, many don't really think about, especially when we're going to be talking here in a second about AI and some of its impact on the workplace. So considering AI's, uh, you know, emerging place it has in government right now, but also society, what role does EEOC play at this moment we're at right now in AI development and adoption in workplaces? Well, you know, whether you're aware of it or not, and I think most people are not aware of it, but, you know, AI in HR has been around um, for some years. And the reason I'm talking about AI and the reason the EEOC is looking at AI and the, the government as a whole is looking at AI in different uses is that employers are already using it to make decisions about people's 
employment. So AI writes job descriptions, it screens resumes, it chats with applicants, it conducts job interviews. In some cases, it predicts if an employee will accept an offer and for how much. There's other software out there that predicts how that employee will interact with their new coworkers. It identifies employees' current skills and potential skills. There's AI that tracks productivity. There's AI that assesses sentiment. So are my employees happy every day? Or are they going to leave? Um, there's AI who picks who's going to get promotions, new jobs, do performance reviews, and there's even AI out there that will tell you you're fired if you don't meet performance reviews. So Ouch. it's not my forward-looking prediction. For each and every one of these tasks I just mentioned, you can find a commercially available product where vendors are willing to, to sell to company right now. And obviously, the pandemic has increased the speed of these developments. Um, so because it's happened so fast, because it's used on a mass scale, you know, there was really no guidance, no best practices, no general awareness of the potential legal ramifications or significant enforcement yet. So my raising awareness was saying, you know, this is the future. This is the future of HR. Everyone is going to be subject to this technology. How do we do it in a way where we can provide different stakeholders guidance based upon our longstanding laws? So, you know, now we're dealing with technology vendors who need to learn the EEO laws. We need to deal with companies who are now implementing these tools to help their workforce, to make their workforce more efficient, to make their workforce more diverse. Um, and you know they're the ones with the, the ultimate liability here. So how do they implement these programs in accordance with civil rights law? And most importantly, the employees who are going to be subject to this technology, how do we make sure that they know that and that the rights that they're afforded in the workplace also apply equally here. So that's sort of been why it's been so important for us to dive in there. It's out there, it's happening, and um, we need to make sure that it's deployed in accordance with the civil rights laws. Definitely, and you definitely need that aspect of uh, a fair workplace, especially the commission, to be right there alongside agencies who are starting to formulate you know, how they're even gonna tackle some of the regulations around the standards and the implementation of AI. So it's very interesting to observe. I do want to bring up the draft strategic enforcement plan that the commission for the first time opened up for public comment earlier this year. A big focus of that was AI. So talk through how this plan is looking at AI. Why was it important to open it up for comment? And where does that plan stand right now? So as you know, uh, you're not unique to the EEOC. Agencies put out their um, strategic plans and it goes out for public comment. So um, we have a draft of our strategic enforcement plan um, that's done every five years. And, and you know, we have a lot of topics, everything from protecting uh, vulnerable workers to new emerging issues post-pandemic uh, related to discrimination against individuals now with COVID disability related to, to mental health issues remaining to new and developing areas of law that the Supreme Court um, has dictated. You know, there's been a lot of changes in employment law from the Supreme Court. Uh, LGBT discrimination is covered. There's cases now related to um, religious discrimination at the Supreme Court. So a lot of those issues, but AI was front and center there um, for, for good reason. So that means it's an official priority if, of course, the plan needs to, to be approved, but we already have an AI initiative that we launched in October 2021. So that's really makes it an official priority of the agency. And when we, it goes in our strategic enforcement plan, that's how we're rated as an agency. That's how um, the career employees in the field, um, you know, their performance reviews also based upon how they're hitting the metrics 
in our strategic enforcement plan. Um, but, you know, it, it really stems from in October of 2021, which I just alluded to, we formally announced an initiative on the use of AI in the workplace. And this initiative will examine more closely how technology is fundamentally changing the way employment decisions are made. Um, it, the initiative aims to guide applicants, employees, employers, and technology vendors, everyone I was discussing earlier that's gonna be part of this new equation related to technology, that they're used fairly and consistent with federal equal employment opportunity laws. As part of the new initiative, we're developing an internal work group, launch a series of listening sessions, gather information, identify promise and practices, and issuing technical assistance. We've already issued two technical assistance guidance, one on the Americans with Disability Act and how um, disabled workers under the ADA are gonna interact with these uh, online and digital tools to make sure that they're not screened out because they have a disability, to make sure that they are able to use these programs with an accommodation if, if necessary. And also some guidance related to how employees can do testing to make sure that these products are not discriminating and using it for intended purpose. So it's in our plan, it's gonna be a priority agency. So what there you'll see generally when something goes into the enforcement plans is a mix of enforcement, obviously, and uh, guidance as well. So basically it locks it in to being a big deal for the EEOC for at least the next five years. Fantastic. Considering the commission's enforcement mission, kind of on the flip side of that, where do you think AI can make the most impact in the workplace, whether it's the technology or the workforce itself, or even the commission itself? Yeah, and this is really, you know, especially with everything you're hearing in Congress right now and the news with ChatGPT, AI is so hot. But in our space, you know, carefully designed and properly used, I believe that AI does have the potential to advance diversity, inclusion, and accessibility in the workplace by mitigating the risk of unlawful discrimination. And I'll give you some examples shortly. But as soon as I say that, I also have to remind everyone that at the same time, poorly designed and carelessly implemented, that AI can discriminate on a scale and magnitude far greater than any individual HR professional, because like any bad HR decision, poor uses of artificial intelligence will damage the trust in the organization, create a toxic work culture, and ultimately damage pro uh, profitability. Because AI, if you, you know, when you dig into it, you realize it's only as good as its purposeful and insightful application by those who are using it with an eye on actual impact um, with the law. And what does that mean here? It's about the quality of data being used. And I'm not a scientist. We don't do data analysis at the EEOC. For us, the training data is really, you know, who are those applicants? Who are, you know, the, the people who are being subject to this system? Because AI predictions about specific applicants are only as sound as that training data on which the algorithms rely. And you know, what we're stuck with now and how employment decisions have been made, you know, in somebody's brain. And we really don't know what a person's true motives are when they make a hiring decision or make a firing decision. Was it for a lawful reason, like they weren't meeting performance, or was it for an unlawful reason because of a protected characteristics, like the person is a woman or, you know, of a certain race, national origin, gender. But AI, if it's carefully designed, it can mask for race, gender, age, disability, and other characteristics that have prevented people from entering and thrive in the workforce. It can mask for proxy terms like people's names, names of sports teams, or someone's graduation date, which are all indicative of protected classes. And it can actually help employers take that skills-based approach, which everyone's looking to. And you know, in the federal government now, there's been so much push about a skills hiring, you know, moving away from degrees and, and looking to see how we're actually getting the best workers. But it can also here also offset 
the confidence gaps that leads women to underreport their abilities and their resumes and over men to overstate theirs. It can help uh, users identify candidates' adjacent skills, skills they may not even know, but the AI that can pick up. So it can really help identify candidates not only on their merit, but on their potential while stripping out that human bias. So, you know, really simple ex examples of this, you know, an AI enabled resume screening program can be taught to disregard variables that have nothing to do with job performance. Like think about a really basic one, somebody's name. What does somebody's name tell you about the ability for them to perform the job? You nothing. What it does tell you is things that the EEOC has said you are not allowed to make a hiring decision on, such as the applicant's sex, national origin, religion, or race. Um, an AI-enabled program that conducts preliminary screening interviews can also be engineered to disregard factors such as age, sex, race, disability. It can even disregard factors that suggest a candidate's membership in a protected class, like a foreign accent or, or speech impairments. And Another example is a lot of companies now are using, you know, your phone or apps to do the initial interview and they record your voice and they, they base it off of what you say. So instead of, you know, what you look like and all those other characteristics that you can't unsee when you see in an interview, it actually takes the way you respond to the, the questions in an answer. And that may prevent some of the discrimination we've historically seen. Like it's not unheard of for an interviewer to meet a highly qualified candidate who is visibly pregnant, disabled, or religiously observant and think to themselves, well, this person's gonna cost me because they want an accommodation. This person's going to need leave for healthcare. Leave's gonna cost me, it's not worth it, so I'm going to go with someone else with similar skills who won't make those requests. And although this is highly illegal, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one that that happens and we never know the real reason why. And those people historically have not been able to get past that first step and using AI to to actually show what their skills are and their ability. You know, you don't know about that. And I think that's really important. But, you know, at the same time, like let's use that voice example of recording somebody's voice and having machine learning go and look at the words they say and the order they say to see if that's the right answers. You know, what happens if the person has a thick foreign accent? What happens if the person's disabled and stuttered? So I can speak fluent English and say um, answers that are not as great as somebody with a thick foreign accent or somebody who stutters, but they're gonna, the computer's going to pick up my voice more than theirs, even though their answers may be better. And that's national origin discrimination. That's disability discrimination right there. So for each use, you can see there's potential positive, but if it's not designed properly, the account account, if account account for those foreign accents, then it's going to be, you know, dis, uh, discrimination right there. And that's what the, the trickiness in all of this, there's a lot of benefits, a lot of really helpful things, but if it's not designed properly, um, it can discriminate, even though it doesn't intend to. And what's so important to remember under federal employment law is that whether you or not you intend to discriminate, employers are, are liable. So if I say, I want to use this AI to intentionally discriminate and remove all older workers through, with a few clicks, you know, you could do that. There's that intentionality there. But what happens if you're having the AI look for a characteristic that has the unintended consequences of screening out older workers, even though you really want older workers? The liability is going to be the same uh, either way. So that's why it's so critical um, that we're engaged in this conversation early for HR professionals who are thinking about using this or wanting to use this. Right. I can say uh, no AI was made in the taping of this interview. So yeah, this is all real. <laughs> these are these are real voices. <laughs> 
So on the, you know, you touched on a, a number of the the potential harms there, because with good can come bad, um, right. especially if there's nefarious actors who want to get a handle on what you're putting into the algorithms or, you know, the AI is only as good as what you put into it. So can you go through, I guess, like how you're prioritizing or how the commission is prioritizing some of the the potential harms that AI could have in making it a fair workplace? Yeah, and a lot of it is just making the awareness of the easier examples of, you know, who's using the system. And if somebody has bias and they want to look through resumes, you know, they, there's a, a stat out there that the average person in talent acquisition looking at human, looking at resumes takes around seven seconds to look at a resume. So if they have bias and they don't want to hire, let's say, you know, a, a female older worker from a certain country, they have to physically look for that and it takes time. But with AI, with a few clicks, you can do that and look at hundreds of thousands of resumes in 0.7 seconds. So you see how quickly it can actually um, increase. So, but that's the intentional use. The unintentional discrimination is that, you know, there's, there's a classic example of a company that used uh, AI to look at all the job applicants and people in a certain position over the prior 10 years. And they asked the machine learning to go through and rate the candidates on a scale from one to five. And it came back and it automatically lowered any females with um, any indications of being a female, having gone to a woman's college or playing women's sports team. And it wasn't doing that because of a misogynistic intent to discriminate against women. It was doing that because the vast majority of people who applied to the positions and got the positions were men. So, you know, as simple as that, discrimination is going to occur there because the data set, which is the applicant pool, is predominantly made up of one race, one gender. So it's just going to replicate um, those biases if they're not controlled for. So that's why, you know, we're encouraging people to really make sure when they're buying these programs to test it, to implement it in their workforce, to make sure that before you're ever using a decision it, to make a decision on someone's livelihood, that you have a very diverse applicant pool data set that's not going to just see that the predominant characteristic is being a man. And that's so if it's only men, that must be the number one most important thing for this job. Or, you know, you could have the most diverse data set. An example I went through before, where you have a, a manager who's not properly trained on the system to go in there and then use it to create bias. So you could see there some of the significant issues that employers need to understand before implementing these programs. Definitely. I love some of the legal um, hints that you've sprinkled in through a lot of this conversation. I can definitely sense um, that you have a legal background, if you will. How would you say that background has helped shape your approach to how you're thinking about some of these policies and issues in AI? Well, um, for, for me, I just think that the, because this is the future, because there's so many benefits to it, right? And really, look, the EEOC collects over $500 million a year from employers, including last year, $132 million against the federal government. So employment bias is out there. It's happening. We get you know, 60, 70,000 charges just on the federal level from private employers every single year. So there's an issue and you know, we haven't been able to, to solve it. And if we can use technology to help us meet our mission to diversify the workforce, to prevent discrimination, I think that's a really good thing. So, you know, from my background, I says, you know, in a way, we're going to have to embrace this. We can't just say, it, you know, it's going to cause harm. We need to be aware of the potential harm it's going to cause, but also be aware of the potential 
significant benefits here and, and just make sure like any other new technology, like anything else, we have the programs and policies and procedures and training in place to actually make it work and to be okay to abandon it and not use it if it's going to cause discrimination. You can only do that if you put more time into it. And I, you know, that's the issue is that a lot of these programs are sold to make decisions more efficient, faster, uh, effective. And um, when it comes to using AI in HR, it's just a different story. You have to you slow down because you're dealing with civil rights. And, and that's really um, where my background is helping me shape how we need to look at this. It's, a, it's definitely a human issue at that point. Absolutely. So thank you, Keith. This was fantastic. Um, really good insight into kind of that ethics and legal standpoint of AI and where it's really going in, in government. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Amy. That was a really fascinating conversation. Before we let our listeners go, do you have any last thoughts or takeaways that you want to leave our listeners with? I think definitely keep following to see what comes of the AI regulation that is continuing to take shape. Sonderling said himself, there's a lot of regulation out there that even though it's not specific to AI, it's something that can help companies and teams guide their use of adopting AI. So there's nothing to be scared of in regards to the technology. A lot of people, you know, seem confused about it, or there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of misunderstandings, but it's really not scary. And as long as you're just, you know, adopting it with the law in mind, everything is going to be okay. But you still need to make sure it's ethical and that you're exercising it with fair employment practices. Right. And I think if our listeners take a look through our podcast archives, you can see that we have been paying attention to ethical AI for a while now. And, you know, I don't want to say that we are ahead of the curve, but we were, you know, this is stuff that we've been talking about for years now. And it's so interesting, at least to me, to see kind of the rest of the culture start paying as much attention to this as we have. So listeners should definitely keep following GovSAO Media and Research to keep up with this ever-relevant topic of AI. But with that, that is all for today's GovCast. If you like what you heard, please leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice and leave a five-star rating as well. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Amy Kluber. Thank you for listening. GovCast, along with HealthCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com. 